0: Well, we will turn again to Deuteronomy chapter 11, although this morning we are also going to remember the Lord Jesus Christ in the breaking of bread as we come to his table. But a few things I wanted just to say in relation to what I said last week. Remember, we spoke about the Pope appearing in flames but there's one interesting before I go on to that there was something came in from Dublin from Reuters in Dublin and this is is interesting actually priests fear driving bans over altar wine celebrating more than one mass a day may push Roman Catholic priests over the alcohol limit if tougher drink driving rules come into effect in Ireland a leading clergyman said on Friday. Altar wine is an essential part of the Eucharist, the ritual in which Catholics believe the priest turns bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. A priest drinks a small amount of the wine during the Mass. Under proposed Irish legislation, the limit of 80 milligrams of alcohol per 100 milliliters of blood is expected to be tightened but no new level has yet been specified. Because the ranks of the Catholic clergy are thinning out, priests, especially in rural areas, often drive to several churches on Sunday to say Mass for congregations who have no resident clergy. You could be over the limit trying to travel between maybe two or three churches on the Sunday morning and coming back again, Father Brian Darcy told Reuters. Darcy is a broadcaster and rector of the Passionate Monastery in Enniskillen, Northern Ireland, where similar changes have been proposed. He said wine prepared for use in services had to be consumed, and throwing it away was blasphemous. Irish media quoted another priest from Western Ireland as saying, he often took three services in a day. If I only took a mouthful of wine from the chalice at all three masses, I feel that this could put me over the legal limit for driving, the unnamed priest was quoted as saying. But if a call comes in that somebody is nearing death, I have no choice but drive to where that person is and give him or her the last rites. Father Iggy O'Donovan from Drogheda, north of Dublin, said members of the congregation could always help finish the wine if too much was left over. The day that the celebration of the Eucharist becomes a defense for drunk driving, I am afraid it beggars belief, he told Radio Air. They can't throw it away, you see, because it's blasphemous. Because that is actually, they believe, the actual body, soul, everything of the Lord Jesus is in the wine. Not just there in theory, but in actual practice. And you know, that made me think, and this little photograph we talked about last week about the Pope appearing in the flames it reminded me of something which I have said before but talking about purgatory you know the Council of Trent was the 19th Ecumenical Council of the Catholic Church and it was convened three times between the years 1545 and 1563 over a space of about 18 years it met three times And it was meant as a response to the theological uh, challenges of the Protestant Reformation. It is considered one of the most important councils in the history of the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, it clearly specifies current, current Catholic doctrines on salvation, the sacraments and the biblical canon. The council standardized the Mass throughout the Church largely by abolishing local variations and then it went on about the Mass and the, the Catholic uh, Catechism but the current, the current beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church were, <clears throat> were formed at the Council of Trent and the Council of Trent has been over and over again legitimised and proven to be the, the ones they go by you remember Vatican Council we had Pope John what was he? Pope John the twenty-third, a big jolly sort of fellow but he said that he endorsed the Council of Trent didn't change anything Vatican II the Pope who died Pope John Paul II declared its conclusions maintain all their value everything that was said in the Council of Trent holds good today you know, people, you'll get Catholic friends, you'll get liberal priests, or you'll get people on the, the radio uh, glossing over this but in actual fact, it all goes back to the Council of Trent and it has been renewed by Vatican II and all the rest of it and I, I just, in the light of that photograph, it just reminded me of purgatory And one of the things it says, or two of the things it says, a whole lot of various things the Council of Trent obviously says, but it says, if anyone says that after the reception of the grace of justification, once you, they they, they talk about grace in a different way than we do. You need to get, when you're talking to a Catholic about terms, get to find out what they believe by the word, and see if it ties up with what scripture says about the word. But it says if you receive after the grace of justification, The guilt is so remitted that if you have received this grace of justification if you say that you have been forgiven and the debt of eternal punishment is blotted out as we believe once we come to Christ for salvation eternal debt has been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ but if they say if you say that that no debt or temporal punishment remains to be discharged in this world or in the next or in purgatory. That's what it states. It's to be remitted in purgatory. Well, if you say that, there's nothing to be blotted out in purgatory or in the world to come that Jesus Christ has satisfied God's righteous demands and that my sins and that I have eternal life my sins have been blotted out well if you say that if you agree with that it's anathema anathema and if anyone says that the sacrifice of the mass wherein in the victim by which we are reconciled to the father they claim that the mass is a sacrifice on the altar by the priests if you say it's a mere commemoration as we would say it's a commemoration a memory of what Jesus Christ did on the cross if you say it's only a memory and that it's not a sacrifice which is performed by the priest and which appeases God if you say that it's only a commemoration you are committing blasphemy and it's anathema to them so when we come to remember the Lord Jesus Christ this morning in the breaking of bread as a memorial service if we only say that the Catholic Church says we're totally in error and it was just in connection to the purgatory the thing about purgatory we have heard very little talk about Pope John Paul being in purgatory and yet the doctrine of the Catholic Church says that we all go to purgatory there was a chap who wrote a book a very well known Catholic Abbe Louvet Lovet or Louvet and he wrote a book called Purgatory According to the Revelation of the Saints And in it he describes various Catholic priests and nuns and popes who died and who went to purgatory. And this man, Lovitz, is very well recognized by the Roman Catholic Church. And he mentions various people who have died and who have gone to purgatory. And it's all based on revelations by various saints of having visions of people in purgatory. He says, for instance, Pope Pius VI in his life had an unusual share of suffering. He'd been dragged from his home by the impious hands of the French Revolution and so on. And he died the death of a confessor of the faith in 1799. He had done great things. But yet, in 1816, 17 years after his death, a woman, Mary Tagi, saw his soul come to the door of purgatory and be sent back again into the abyss, his expiation not yet being finished. How long is it still there? Nobody knows. They can never tell you how long a soul will be in purgatory. There was an, another Pope, Leo Twelfth. He escaped after a few months on account of his eminent piety and the short t- time he held the awful responsibility of the pontificate. But there's a story, and this is repeated by a, a cardinal called Bellarmine, Bellarmine is recognized as one of the fathers of the Catholic Church. His doctrines are incorporated into the Roman Catholic Catechism. But he tells the story of the great pontiff, Innocent III, who held the Lateran Council, who passed for a saint in the eyes of men, and did so much to reform the Church. According to Saint Lutgard. He appeared to her, all surrounded by flames, and and on expressing her astonishment, informed her that he had narrowly escaped hell, this is Innocent III, and that he had been condemned to suffer in purgatory till the end of the world he earnestly entreated her prayers whereupon Saint Lutgard, with all her nuns set themselves with all their might to make intercession for his deliverance but no sign came that their prayers were answered and for all we know after five centuries but actually six centuries by now the poor wretch may still be plunged in those horrible pains from which he begged so earnestly to be delivered and Bellamine who is the, one of the, the fathers of the church. He says this example fills me with real terror every time I think of it. It's not sad. And just by the way, Lovett made a calculation. And by the help of his revelations from these saints who had visions of people in purgatory. He has done a calculation as to how an ordinary Christian, how long an ordinary Christian... May spend in purgatory. But his result is that a Christian of more than usual sanctity. Who has never committed a mortal sin. Who has carefully avoided all the grave or venial sins. And has satisfied by penance. For three quarters of the lighter sins into which frailty has led him. Must expect to spend in purgatory hundred and twenty three years three months and fifteen days a truly terrifying result says Lovett for if it is so with righteous souls what will become of poor sinners like me and the strange thing is I have heard no one mention anywhere the same as when uh, Basil Hume died they are all talking about him being in heaven there was no talk of him being in purgatory and yet we have records of supposed records of many popes who ended up in purgatory and who are still there just interesting that the church just changes and you know the the book of common prayer says that the doctrines of the catholic church in relation to the mass and these other things are repugnant to the plain teaching of scripture but people forget all about that these days right let's get on to something a little bit more edifying but just uh, I think it's worthwhile reminding ourselves of the error in the catholic church and in other places right we read uh, from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10 from verse 20 Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name. He is thy praise, and he is thy God, that hath done for thee these great and terrible things, which thine eyes have seen. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with three score and ten persons, and now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always I suppose as we've been looking at Deuteronomy over the past months there's one salient point which I suppose stands out more than some of the others and I think it is that the Israelites were to remember to remember remember to keep God's laws, remember to keep his statutes, remember all that God had done for them remember the stranger in their midst remember how God had redeemed them from Egypt remember how God had led them through the wilderness always remembering and we could go on constantly Moses reminds them to remember he repeats it all the time remember to keep God's laws he is trying to instill into their minds the need to remember their God he loves his people as we said and he would soon be leaving them he knew that he would not be going into the promised land with them and he knew the time was short and during the whole of Deuteronomy when he gave this wonderful book to us he constantly reminded them that he wouldn't be there and he just had a great desire and a great love for them and that they would continue in the ways of God when he had left them you know today as I said we'll be remembering the Lord our Saviour in the breaking of bread. We shall see that he too desired his disciples to follow his teachings and to remember him. To remember. We have a picture of Moses wanting the people to remember the, word, the words of God. And we too the Lord Jesus Christ has said remember me. And so we read that Moses said they were to have a godly respect. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Thou shalt fear. Have a godly respect for God. And to serve him. Verse 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve. To work for him. To labor for him. And the thought is not just physically serving God it's spiritually with our whole being everything we should do should serve God every aspect of my life what is to be centred around serving God that's what he was trying to tell them and it's the same for us Paul summarized these thoughts in his epistles over and over again writing to the Corinthians he said of himself and other apostles in 2 Corinthians twelve nineteen, we do all things dearly beloved for your edifying the reason why Paul did what he did was so that he could edify the brethren can I be so sure that all I do in my everyday living has the effect of edifying those around with whom I come into contact those I meet every day. You know we meet people as we go to work. We meet the postman. Or in our case sometimes the postwoman. When she leaves me. Having met me briefly. What lasting impression have I left with her. As she goes on our rounds. Now we don't have to give her the four spiritual laws every time we meet her. But are we aware of her as a person of her family of her her husband or her children. Has she got any children? In fact she's two. (laughs) But have I created a rapport with those I meet in the course of my daily work such as if they were troubled or if they were concerned about something that they would feel comfortable in coming to me for some help or advice we want to make ourselves available sadly sometimes I think we don't make that impression upon people you know this is all so practical isn't it not pie in the sky and so writing to the Philippines Paul reminds them that they live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. The Israelites were traveling through the land. They were going into where all the Canaanites were. These idol worshippers. They were going into a land which was perverse and crooked. And we too, Paul reminds us, live in a crooked and perverse nation we would all agree with that today no problem that this world is crooked and perverse what a world this week's news you just think of anything that happened in the last few days saw where an old man of 90 got involved with a row with a a fellow of 40 odd regarding a parking spot I see where that uh, police woman was run over and left dying on the road all these things are happening It's a crooked and perverse world. What a world. And so he says to the Philippines. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. (laughs) Why? So that ye may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among whom. Ye shine as lights in the world. But the Canaanites going to see any difference in the people as they moved into the promised land? Were they going to see that these people were the people of God? And do people see in you and me that we shine as lights in this perverse and crooked world? And that's Shakespeare said. Herein lies the rub, doesn't it? It's a very real challenge to us is that the way we're living in this world do I actually shine as a light in this wicked and perverse world would anybody notice if I wasn't here <laughs> I wonder I remember, remember I was playing golf on Portrush with a friend of mine and we met this other guy and my friend said to him oh Ron I haven't seen you playing recently. Uh, have you not been playing? And the guy had been away in Canada for something like six years, and we hadn't noticed. <laughs> He's back on holiday. And it just struck me you know, would anybody notice if we weren't here? Would I be known, if I go away, would I be known for my murmurings and disputings? rather than shining as a light pointing the way and warning of dangerous rocks ahead (laughs) on that tour, I remember there were two characters sang in a choir a Christian choir they were always moaning and they were known as moody and cranky because (laughs) it was terrible that they were known as that rather than something a bit more pleasant but you know Perhaps we are thinking we cannot make any impression on those around us. We are just a lone voice crying in the wilderness, whistling in the dark, hoping against hope that we might be with some use, but a voice crying in the wilderness. You know, the world uses that expression as a metaphor for useless shouting and pointless waste of time and effort. But in fact, John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness. Imagine asking John, John, why are you out there in the desert? No one will hear you. No one will listen to you. And he would say, this is where God wants me. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness... Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Out there in the wilderness. And do you know what? Because he was obedient to God, we read then, Then went out to him Jerusalem. Not only some Jeru- Jerusalem went out to him. They all went out to hear him. And all Judea. And all the region round about Jordan. They all went out. Because he was doing what God wanted him to do. And they were baptized of him in Jordan. Confessing their sins. John's mission was to proclaim the coming Messiah in the wilderness. It may not have seemed a very logical place to start his mission. John surely the center of Jerusalem is where you should go. Don't go way off into the wilderness. Be reasonable. But John obeyed. And he was faithful to his calling. And it was up to God to fulfill his prophecy made hundreds of years previously. And God did. Let us all be faithful to our calling. And we know that Paul reminded the Philippines. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. so they were to serve him and then it says thou shalt cleave unto him to him shalt thou cleave to cleave to to cling to stick to stay close to to follow closely that's what they were to do want Christians today with stickability those who will stick close to Jesus those who will follow closely we want Christians who will stick at witnessing, stick at their job to follow closely you know Peter we've all heard many sermons about Peter the fact that after and during the trial of Jesus it said Peter followed afar off. Peter followed afar off. And he, we know that he went and warmed himself at the fire. And we hear all these sermons. He, yes he warmed his, far, his hands at the fire of the world we're told. He allowed a slip of a girl to accuse him and denied following, knowing his savior. And then he swore blindly that when later he was accused again that he did not know what they were talking about because he followed afar off we've all heard sermons like that but the fact does remain if Peter had followed Jesus closely if he had cleaved if he had stuck close to his saviour then would this episode have ever taken place may we cleave to our Lord through the power of his spirit. The Israelites it says. <coughs> Thou shalt cleave. And swear. By his name. Swear by his name. Swear allegiance. Solely to him. As we follow him. It goes on to verse 21. He reminded them, he says, He is thy praise. He is thy praise. For the Israelites, God was to be the subject of their praise. He alone was to be their God. He alone deserves the praise of all his creatures because of his perfections, his works, his blessings, and his goodness. He is thy praise. All mercies, all our temporal needs, all our spiritual needs are found in him. And therefore he is greatly to be praised. Praise is his due. And it says in it is comely for his people to give it to him. The psalmist in Psalm 22 says... But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. God inhabited the praises of Israel. They had seen the great and terrible things that God had done on their behalf. He reminded them of it. And in chapter uh, 11 he, he does the same again he didn't decrease the number of them when they went down to Egypt originally there were 70 of them when they came out there were hundreds of thousands of them God had been good to them and God has been good to us and then in chapter 11 verse 1 it says therefore because of all that because of what has gone before because what I've said in those preceding chapters therefore Thou shalt, thou shalt, not thou will perhaps, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Thou shalt keep his charge, keep his injunctions, a legal obligation under the law. Somebody does something which you they shouldn't be doing, you can go over to the courts and get an injunction against them to stop them doing things. And you have to keep God's injunctions. He says, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Keep that injunction. That's what the Israelites had to do. It was their legal obligation to do it under the law. And then it says, and his judgments, his instructions. And it's like, you know, when you go to the chemist and you get a prescription and the the instructions of the prescription are written on the bottle. We have to keep God's prescribed instructions. One tablet three times a day. We follow the instructions that have been prescribed by the doctor God has prescribed instructions for you and for me and we should obey them and the Israelites were to keep God's prescribed instructions and keep his commandments and then the last word in that verse 1 always always You know when we get the bottle of pills from the chemist. We just don't take them for the first day. And then we leave them for a couple of days. And then we do it again. And then we forget about them. And then we pick them up again in a month's time. And we do them for another three or four days. No. It won't won't be any good to you if you do that. You have to keep the prescribed instructions. Always. If you want to be healed. If we want to follow God's rules for living. We have to keep his instructions always. Always. And those are the instructions which God gave to Moses. And Moses gave to the children of Israel. To keep God's law. To remember. To remember. Now at the start we said Moses would be leaving them. And he just had a great love and desire that they would continue in the ways of God. Today we come to remember the Lord our Saviour in the breaking of bread. We saw how he too desired his disciples to follow his teachings and to remember him. You know our Lord had traversed the hills and valleys of Israel for three long tiring years. He had faced the opposition of the religious sects, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the others, and their constant desire to trick him, trip him up, to get rid of him, to, to rid themselves of his criticism, and their planning to kill him. He had seen many disciples come and then. To leave him when he explained to them that it would involve a cost which they were not prepared to pay. He knew that one of his apostles, of the twelve that he had chosen, would soon betray him and that he would pay the ultimate sacrifice by being crucified. He'd known disappointment even with his chosen few he'd known what it was to live rough he could say the foxes have holes the birds of the air have their nests but the son of man hath not where to lay his head he went through this world doing good healing the sick cleansing the lepers raising the dead giving sight to the blind and although he was the light of the world the world rejected him the world chose a murderer rather than the prince of peace and now the last night of his sojourn on earth had come he gathered his chosen few around him in a borrowed room A room they had to borrow from some friend. And already the shadow of the cross was coming upon his spirit. He tells them of his impending betrayal. And then lets his heart flow out towards them in love. And he says with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer I've longed for this moment before I suffer but they still did not grasp the full significance of those words before I suffer they didn't realize what was lying ahead for their Lord and Saviour We may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear. But we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. Before I suffer. none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed or how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. What a scene, those men gathered there. the Son of God with desire I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer Jesus himself the light of the world in the middle of that group of men shut in the upper room with his disciples away from the noise and the bustle of the city down below soon to be portrayed forsaken, denied mocked, scourged crucified all that looming just ahead of him and yes here he is comforting his chosen few and giving them this precious memorial of the love that burned with unquenchable fire towards his own and the lost of this world. That love which would drive him to the cross of Calvary. To obtain their eternal deliverance and everlasting blessing. And not just to those few in the room. But to those who would put their faith and trust in that finished work of redemption at Calvary. Throughout the world. You and me and many millions around the world. And those who have believed down through the corridors of time. Those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it. With desire I have to eat this Passover before I suffer. And we as part of the Church of Jesus Christ. The Bride of Christ. Have that wonderful privilege. To partake in this memorial today shut in they were in that room and we in spiritually speaking were shut in with thee shut in with our Lord shut in with thee far far above the restless world that wars below we seek to learn and prove thy love thy wisdom and thy grace to know and then he institutes the Lord's Supper no grand ritual no great ceremony yet the very simplicity is so moving and touching so important what could be so fully how could he so fully have recorded himself and his love and his graciousness to us and to our hearts by anything else symbols of his body and his blood his body given and his blood poured out in death as we partake of these emblems let us again say thank you Lord for dying for me thank you Lord for going to Calvary for me According to thy gracious word in meek humility this will I do my dying Lord I will remember thee thy body broken for my sake my bread from heaven shall be the cup of blessing I will take and thus remember thee Gethsemane can I forget or there thy conflict see thine agony and bloody sweat and not remember thee when to the cross I turn mine eyes and rest on Calvary O Lamb of God my sacrifice I must remember thee remember thee and all thy pains and all thy love for me yea While a breath, a pulse remains, will I remember thee?